Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, for another All In Crypto podcast. I'm your host, All In Crypto, and today I am nothing short of excited to be bringing on Dan Friedman, the CEO of Zengate Global, and Sam Lambert, the COO of Zengate Global. Welcome on board, gentlemen. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, All In. Very nice to, to be here. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having us. Yep. No, the pleasure is absolutely all mine. And with all my guests, I like to really start with them. Um, so if you could perhaps take it in turns to introduce yourself, a little bit about yourself and how you got into the space, that would be much appreciated. Sure. Uh, so I'll go first since uh, since I'm going first. Yeah, don't, don't all yeah, rush. That is the reason. Uh, so again, my name is Dan Friedman. And so... How did I get into the space? Well, I was in IT for a while. I was in IT since the 90s. Uh, my career started, I believe, in 1997 uh, during during the dot-com boom, which then became the wow. dot-com crash. Uh, so that's a, that's, a, that's a different story, different show, different time. Uh, yeah, so I did uh, – I was a developer, project manager – Later on, an entrepreneur, uh, CTO uh, for for a number of years, I did uh, various different jobs in the tech sector. Uh, most that had to do, obviously, with web technologies, with IT systems, with um, augmented reality is something that I also worked in. Uh, so then around 2015, 2014, 2015, late 2014, if it it was i can't exactly remember exactly when because just the, the the bitcoin chatter started around 2014 i think by the time i kind of uh started really looking into it because the people around me that were doing the chatter were a little um shall we say neurotic so yep. you always have to kind of take it with a grain of salt like okay okay take it easy yes yes bitcoin bitcoin everything bitcoin is great okay uh, yeah, so I started really looking after, uh, looking into it around 2015 into uh, DLT technologies and um, really trying to understand what, well, first of all, what is the point? Uh, because at that point, really, all you had was uh, just two types of uh, videos or two types of tutorials or two types of speakers, right? The one that tells you all about Oh, well, you know, DPoS uh, versus, uh, you know, Ethereum's blah, blah, blah versus just like, okay, and what? They, they talk about these, you know, big words, research, stuff that, I, you know, I mean, I can kind of follow, but if I can kind of follow it and I've been in this field for a long time, the average person wouldn't be able to. Or there was this, you know, the simple like infographics, you know, Bob has fiat, Bob is wrong. You know, Susan has Bitcoin. Susan is right. And this is how blockchain works. And it's, you know, these like really simplistic tutorials. And there was nothing kind of in the middle for, for myself to sink my teeth into for a while. Because I'm the type of person that I would like to understand the consumer, uh, the mainstream uh, side and the mainstream uh, road to mainstream adoption of a new technology. That's on one end. On the other end, I kind of want to see what's under the hood, but not be overwhelmed with it. And so, uh, yeah, around 2015, late 2015, I really kind of started getting into it, started finding the right materials. And so around 2016, uh, I was still working with a company in Japan. Uh, I live in Japan. So, so the Sam, as he will tell you in a minute, in fact, you can probably see the Japanese motif. Yeah, I was about uh, to say, the, the, the doors look very Japanese. <laughs> oh, yeah, they, they, they are. are. They are very, very Japanese. Uh, yeah, so around 2016, uh, I really kind of decided to step it up. Uh, and at that point, uh, there was this uh, little project called Cardano. Most people have never heard of. Um, and uh, so one of the, the co-founders lived in Osaka, where I live. Uh, so through a mutual friend who actually is uh, Nico Despopoulos, who... Is now uh, is now one of our co-founders. Uh, he introduced me to the team uh, uh, that was developing Cardano at that point. There was maybe like six people in the company or five people in the company. Uh, IOG, the company that developed Cardano, and so I came on as project manager for the pre-sale uh, and the pre-sale app 
uh, that handled the entire Cardano pre-sale, everything from KYC with the uh, the KYC firm that was being used at that point for uh, for the pre-sale participants to individual vouchers that were basically given to participants uh, that which then were later redeemed for ADA uh, when when Cardano went mainnet. And so from there on, basically, I started my journey in, uh, well, in the Cardano ecosystem and in Web3 in, in, in general, uh, my professional journey. Uh, so after the pre-sale, I wore many hats at IOG. I, uh, I was, uh, I, I, I carried, I, I did several PMO functions. Um, I later became uh, the first uh, business developer of IOG. And so, yeah, so this is this was my career at IOG uh, for about seven and a half years. And during that time, I really uh, had the opportunity to work a lot with uh, developing economies. The reason being is that um, a lot of this blockchain technology, a lot of the innovation that we're offering today really helps and is, very, is the most impactful in developing economies because of uh, the ability for them to kind of leapfrog a lot easier because their infrastructure a lot of times is outdated, underserved, underdigitized. And so they're a lot more flexible in adapting this new technology. And so this is why it kind of felt more impactful. You know, it was, it was really an, 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 an inspiring environment. Uh, and so, yeah, I did work in Georgia. We did work in Africa. We did work in Southeast Asia. Uh, and this is why uh, this was one of the reasons why I decided to carry this work over to Zengate uh, when I founded it uh, about a year and a half ago. And the idea behind Palmyre, which is what we're going to discuss, which is basically uh, working with uh, emerging markets and underserved commodities, uh, which is where most of this impact can be felt. Uh, so, yeah, that brings us to today. And uh, today I'm in this uh, beautiful uh, Istanbul hotel room. Uh, I just got back from speaking with commodity, uh, commodity buyers in Turkey. And so, yeah, this is this is my life now. Wow, absolutely fascinating. And you know what? It's why we're so excited to have you on the show, um, because I know you've got a wealth of sort of history in the crypto space broadly. Of course, with Cardano, which we're a big fan of the Cardano project. Charles and everything to do with it. Um, and I really love the fact that what you guys are trying to do is solve a real world issue. And, and, and you mentioned a number of things there, uh, one of which was that this technology is really very impactful in developing economies. And it really is. And, and not only do you have um, the ability to leapfrog with this technology because of the lack of the uh, existing technology that is in many of these countries, but also you have a very uh, young typically geographic in many of these places that can kind of become blockchain native and really carry it forward. Thank you very much for that, Dan. Uh, Sam, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'll be quick because um, I, I can't wait to talk about some of the stuff we're working on. Um, but basically, quick one from me. So I'm originally from Sydney, but sort of grew up all over the place. Um, was born in Hong Kong. Um, my mom's Japanese, so I lived in Japan for a few years and then grew up basically in Sydney. I did my studies um, at university. I did economics and statistics and then moved into the management consulting field. So I worked at a company called Oliver Wyman for a couple of years, and it's a global company. I did a lot of work with banks and insurance companies and telecommunication companies in Australia, in the APAC region and sort of outside as well. So. I came across crypto during that period of my life um, where I helped, I was one of the first people to help set up the global digital assets and blockchain practice for Oliver Wyman um, out of New York. Um, it's grown into quite a big team now. They do projects related to, you know, central bank related um, currency projects to infrastructure for the private sector. Um, they sort of do all over. They do a lot of different things, working with crypto native companies as well. So that was that was really interesting for me to get that type of exposure. But I actually came into crypto not through my work, but I was working on different insurance startup ideas. Um, at one point, I had, I guess, what you could call my first attempt um, was building a, a sort of automated claims process um, for incumbent insurers and. It was a really hard time trying to build a solution like that because AI didn't exist. I was trying to code 
you know, with the people I was working with at the time, um, these product disclosure statements. And I think with AI now, it'd be much easier. But I came into crypto with the idea that parametric insurance, which is the idea of a if if an event happens, which is recorded on some form of Oracle, then you get an instant payout. And it's such a clean, efficient way of providing risk um, and sharing risk between people. And I just thought that was an incredible um, sort of invention and an incredible use case for the blockchain space. And there's a few projects out there that are working on these types of things. And I actually think it'll play a really important role later down the line for the type of work that we're doing. Um, So it's all sort of relevant. It also ties back together, but that that's how I first came in. It was not so much around um, a lack of distrust for banks, although that has, you know, slowly gone up <laughs> over the years or lack of distrust for the government. But yeah, it was really like, what what's a practical application of this technology? And that, that same type of practical mindset is is something important to us at the company and also what we're trying to build as well. Yeah, fascinating. I absolutely love that. I think my first introduction to crypto or Bitcoin was back in the Silk Road days, but we won't go anywhere near that. Um, let's talk a little bit about Zengate Global. I really love how you mentioned you tried to apply blockchain technology to a real world use case, you know, insurance. And, and and you sought to try and figure out how you could merge these two industries together. And, and, and blockchain technology really is going to change everything. Identity, insurance, the whole, all industries and, and what you guys are doing is carving your own piece of that out and really changing the sector that you're uh, interested in. So if we could dive into Zengate Global, so a, a kind of overview of what Zengate Global is, uh, and then we'll get into what you guys are doing. Yeah, maybe I can... I can start with that. So when Dan and I first met, like this, this, like Dan had been stewing on this idea for years. And, you know, when, when we first met, so clicked, then we had this common belief between us that it was really important for people all around the world to have access to equal opportunities. It was not so much about, you know, everyone deserves to be the same, but you have to level the playing field from a technology point of view, or even just you know, in any sort of dimension that you can to let people sort of take initiative and and make use of that. So that was like a really common theme. And I'd done some work in the Philippines um, working on, you know, a crypto native banking build. So there was customers being affected by, you know, remittance issues, um, cross-border payments. Dan had spent years through his work at IO speaking to different regulators, businesses in emerging markets. And and you know you know Eastern Europe, these parts of the world, Africa, and it, it became very apparent that there was this entire population and entire sec you know segments of the commodity space, and, and sort of outside commodity as well, who were completely underserved from a technology point of view, and they were really impacted. And because of the lack of technology, there was you know issues to access financing, so the businesses would face cash flow issues. There was you know, limited access to different markets where they could earn more revenue, um, all sorts of things like that. So we, you know, we, you know, Dan had an incredible idea and we, you know, really fleshed it out and we've built something now where we we provide these equal opportunities. Um, so that's the key ethos around like what we've built, why we're building it. And, you know, I think the, the theme around real world asset tokenization, the theme around like blockchain for good, um, building actual use cases um, where businesses are using our technology, but under the hood, it's being powered by, you know, distributed ledger technology. Um, all of this sort of comes together um, into a very simple user experience. And that's what we're driving forward towards every single day. Um, and yeah, I hope, I hope that sort of summarizes the why and what we're doing. Yeah, I think so. And I'd really like to explore that. Um and and maybe explore a bit more of what the issue is right now when it comes to commodities with some of the places you guys are interested in solving these problems in. Um, so either one of you, welcome to, to t- take this question. What are some of the problems and barriers right now? And feel free to use an example of, of, of perhaps um, somewhere you're already impacting. Uh, to kind of tell us what you guys are actually solving. You know, what's the issue right now and how with the implementation of blockchain are you guys solving that issue? Sure, I'll take that one. Um, So 
and this is actually, it's interesting. I just came back from speaking to a, a, a tea buyer and exporter out here in Turkey, uh, a, a fairly major wine. I wouldn't say huge, but, you know, midsize. Uh, so he does quite a bit of volume. And really what we really spoke about the entire time in different ways is access, a lack of access. Uh, so basically lack of access in field X has an impact on margin Y. And this is why you cannot do your business in, 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 in a way that will have the efficiency of Z. And that's what's really it's all about. It's all about access. And um, I mean, that's really what the platform is all about in its essence. And so a lot of these underserved commodities and emerging markets and underserved markets, they lack this access in many different levels, whether it be access to a global market in general. Uh, so some of these just don't have access to them just because it's a very closed ecosystem, right? So my father's father used to sell to the same guy that always buys all of our tea. And so I'm just going to keep selling to him because I don't know how to get anybody else. Right. I, I it, it, it's, it, it's too cost in effect for me to go out there and go find somebody else who's going to buy my tea or it's an exporter that uh, says, okay, so I only deal with this particular company because they can guarantee quality and they can guarantee that my product will be consistent. It'll get there on time and it'll preserve my reputation as a seller. Um, or it's about price, right? It's about, okay, I can deliver a quality product for this, this margin. Uh, and uh, again, it, you know, it's a relationship, right? It's a relationship that, um, that is, that is, being built over time because there's a lack of trust and lack of access. So some of this comes from this. A lot of other lacks of access come from lack of digitization. Um, and again, and all these are interwoven. You know, these are not just separate things. They're they're interwoven together. Say lack of uh, lack of digitization. So instead of actually having an, an, a clear low barrier of entry type of online UX that you can just point and click and do your business with. You have to make, uh, you know, six phone calls to the, this guy that knows a guy that knows a guy that dealt with your dad's cousin. And then you have to go and drive to Colombo or something to get a certificate. And then you have to, uh, you know, set up a company in Turkey because of some, you know, some, some sort of uh, uh, bottleneck in exports. And so a lot of this is because of lack of digitization, because a lot of these sectors are under digitized. And this actually impedes in their ability to do a more streamlined, a more efficient way, uh, have a more efficient value chain. So this is just from, uh, you know, from spot buying and selling. And this, this is where we come in. We provide a medium for them to have a clear, low barrier of entry, transparent way of doing business, uh, directly sourced uh, no reason to trust me, bro. It's on chain. Uh, there is traceability information attached to it because that's another huge thing, traceability. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, smaller producers don't get the business they need to get is because, well, they're a small producer. So a large producer, uh, yeah, they, they, they have a brand. People know them. That's why they buy from them. A smaller producer, well, okay. You can get me a better product or a lower price or a better product from lower, lower price, but I don't know you. You're some guy in Sri Lanka. I don't know you. How can I trust that if I order, say, a thousand kilos of your product, I'm not going to get screwed over? And that's a very valid concern. And so this is, like I said, this is where we come in with the opportunity inclusion, the ability to create access across the board for the producer, for the buyer, uh, even for the tea broker. Um, because of the functions uh, that, say, um, somebody in Turkey has, um, a lot of times it's, it's, it's very much kind of, you know, comes in levels. 
So somebody in Turkey will buy tea for somebody, say, in uh, in another country in the Middle East, right? And they will kind of be the broker for that tea. And so for them, again, uh, they want to have the quiet, highest quality product, but they want to make sure that that product is that doesn't, uh, you know, they, they, they don't get rugged, basically. I mean, that's what it is. Um, yeah, so, I mean, in, in essence, if you kind of look at it from just the standard traders, the standard commodities brokers, and we're talking about soft, we're talking about commodities that uh, in its traditional sense, right? Um, because a lot of, um, a lot of uh, modern commodity markets are a lot more, um, it's 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 just it's it's systematized, right? Systematized. It is digitized, but it's digitized. It's like okay, we have this template, and these commodities fit in this template. And this template allows us to trade them. It allows us to borrow against them. It allows us to uh, create future futures contracts for them. But if it's out of that particular uh, template, then the system pretty much breaks down because it's just not efficient enough for them to really use that legacy system to onboard these commodities. And so that leaves about a trillion dollars of underserved commodities that, that, that are in need of those same services that, that traditional commodities like gold and silver and crude and uh, wheat enjoy, but they don't get that. Um, so, and that's, again, that's lack of access and that is what we solve lack of access. And again, I could give you examples for the next three hours, you know, where lack of access equals less opportunity. And essentially what we do is uh, what we call opportunity inclusion. And this is what Sam was talking about. You know, it's, it's not about, uh, you know, making everybody equal. It's about giving everybody the opportunity to do business in a sustainable, transparent, um, uh, un unpolluted way and then let them decide, okay, I'm going to use this opportunity to do business or, or not. And, and that's just up to them, but at least they have the opportunity for access. Yeah. Do you know, and I, I think when you really grasp the scope of what you guys are trying to do, it, it is about opportunity. It's about creating this opportunity and using blockchain to create a fair system that allows for the inclusion of these people, you know, fishermen in parts of Africa, for example, that may want to sell their fish. I know fish might be a bit of a an out there um, uh, sort of example here, but you're basically connecting farmers, fishermen, commodity producers of all kinds with a global market in a way where infrastructure that we currently have simply doesn't serve them from a, you know, how do they guarantee their reputation? I'm sure you guys have got some sort of a rep an on-chain reputation system, perhaps, for that. Yeah. So, so this is something actually. Yeah, we 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 are uh, we are building into the protocol, uh, the, and this is actually uh, something that Sam spoke about. So, um, creating a uh, kind of a credit scoring system, a decentralized credit scoring system that would then effectively act as that particular reputation system. They could also then be, they can also act for, uh, as a de-risking mechanism for uh, decentralized trade financing, which is something else that we're going to be uh, including into the platform uh, later down the line. Yeah. You know, so not only have you got that opportunity and providing the infrastructure, you're actually providing opportunity for a, a far broader scope of things. You know, you're, uh, bringing online, perhaps, all these commodities that thus far have been siloed. Um, and you're enriching the lives of the people who are providing these commodities and the people who are potentially going to be selling them, buying them, and everybody in between. And 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 I kind of want to get in a little bit more to actually how that process, what does that process look like? How are you facilitating this? Is it through a DEX? Is it through a market maker? What's the kind of commodity producer to end user what does that look like i might touch on that so this well at the end of the day like there's the way i like to describe it and maybe maybe dan you know, dan describes it as well in a similar way but there's almost like three like stages to how all of this plays out and and dan mentioned it before um the markets are so unstructured 
in some of these places that we work in or they have their own version of structure and perhaps it's not as good as it could be but it's a trillion dollars in export value a year and that's just like spot buying and selling a singular transaction at the export value so people are like buying and selling at different stages so you, like it's it's even bigger if you think about that way the second phase is this piece around trade financing or it, uh, some some people might call it commodity commodity financing or commodity warehouse financing or supply chain financing or pre-export financing there's a few different sort of terms involved but basically what this means is you know as this as the sale is itself is getting conducted um you know there are input costs associated to the creation of the commodities or the products that you're trying to sell so there's a need for financing to manage cash flows there and and most of the time um at least in trade that's conducted in these structured capital markets they get access to that stuff so it's like 1 trillion dollars is aside the export value you have another trillion dollars of stuff that needs to get financed and then you have the third phase which is effectively offering like having a risk marketplace and having a risk marketplace there's different models around that you can have insurance you can have um different types of contracts which could be futures or forward contracts but the whole idea around that is some commodities are quite volatile you need a way to effectively lock in prices so as a buyer and a seller of of these commodities you can manage your risk and you can manage the cash flows um associated to your business so there's this huge like three part process along this and it's a really big sort of opportunity it's a really big roadmap but the great thing is the customer base is really similar like the same types of solutions you can offer it's just like adding another layer adding another layer of this stuff so that i just wanted to just paint that picture but in terms of how it works today it's going to look quite different to how it works in 5 years time but what we've done today is effectively the creation of a spot buy and sell of the actual physical commodity itself where there's a physical delivery that takes place so someone in um someone that is sort of eligible to onboard their products as a seller or as a producer will sign up to the platform they'll go through a know your business check and identity check just to verify that they are who who they say they are and then they can begin to trace um the commodity itself um which is one section and list their products and you'll have buyers from around the world who will then go on the website and place an order a lot of this stuff the tokenization piece that we're working on right now um we have a protocol called the winter protocol which is the traceability and the tokenization piece so all of that stuff is on chain when terms of actual transaction itself that takes place people um are still work you know still dealing with you know US dollars and euros so we've we're in the process of plugging in a cross border payment solution which allows for escrow so basically someone in the US can make a payment it'll sit in an escrow account with a with a um payment service provider and when the when the when the terms of the sales are met so someone actually receives you know a container or they receive you know boxes of of the commodity at their warehouse the funds get released so that's how it works today in terms of like the the scope of how it evolves later down the line um there are so many different types of commodities and some are like really not you know they they don't perish so you can store them so when you have commodities like that some some producers are forced to sell uh commodities at point of harvest just because they don't have a place to store it which effectively means that they they you know there's there's so much liquidity in the market at certain points of of a season but when you have ways of actually storing you know in a warehouse these types of producers are able to keep things you know safely in in a place and you can you can effectively create different types of collateral that they can then you know borrow money against so there's a lot of different opportunities down the line where you can have these types of systems where you work with these types of partners and tokenized commodities that in warehouses for example you can lend money to these people using like a DeFi protocol you can trade assets if you can you know different contracts like the scope is enormous enormous at the end of the day but the great thing is um the the impact is tangible like these people now have a market to, to buy and sell at there's a market to trade risk there's a market to borrow so 
this impacts real people, impacts real businesses at the end of the day. So that's the sort of stuff um, that it'll ultimately evolve into. So I believe DeFi has a really important role to play. Um, I believe something that looks and feels like a DEX has something important to play, but obviously we'll have our own touch with the way the UI works in a way that it's almost, you don't even realize you're using blockchain. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of at least the way I'm thinking about this stuff and the way Dan and I talk about it as well. Wow, fascinating. And I love what you touched on there about DeFi. When we think about DeFi, we think about DeFi with crypto tokens. What does DeFi look like when basically everything and anything is tokenized? You know, that that is a world that I think all three of us probably truly believe we're moving towards. Um, the opportunities and the excitement surrounding that for everybody, like you say, the grassroots farmers or the commodity producers, all the way up to markets generally, commodity markets and things like that. It, it, it's just fascinating what you guys are doing. And I'd kind of like to, um, before we touch on some examples of where you guys have integrated and some of the, the kind of uptick we've seen in those areas, I'd kind of like to talk about the commodities themselves. Uh, you mentioned a perhaps tokenized version of those commodities. What does that look like? Are they represented via an NFT or, you know, maybe you could talk me through that process just quickly. I might, I yeah, might I defer to Dan to take that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so funny you should mention that. Yes, actually, uh, in essence, these are NFTs. Uh, and one of the first ideas that kind of kind of spawned the uh, um, or sparked, I should say, that's a better word than spawned, sparked uh, the idea behind Palmyra is the usage of NFTs for their utility versus for uh, just trading monkey pictures and animal pictures and whatnot. Um, and so I always thought, and in fact, this was way before the the, the, the NFT boom of last uh, of last of the last bull market. This was before. This was around maybe 2018, early 2018. I started really, you know, checking out NFTs and uh, kind of thinking about uh, you know tokenizing assets and, in fact, uh, tokenizing uh, 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 football players. Uh, well, you know, uh, soccer players um football <laughs> well football okay so so since i am american people might mistake me saying football for american football of course like, yeah right. yeah yeah no no great um, and by the way it is it is it is the british started calling it soccer so don't don't blame us for that i know it's everything's our fault <laughs> well we'll get into it in a different show and and thank you for acknowledging that um uh, and so I was actually uh, uh, talking about that with uh, with some Georgian um, uh, uh, soccer team owners uh, about potentially tokenizing Georgian um, uh, Georgian football players uh, using NFTs. But at that point, it was just way too early, and they just didn't understand the concept of so why why would you do that? And why would somebody buy something like that? And uh, yeah, and so that when the when the boom happened, um, I just kind of felt like, okay, it's good that this technology is getting traction, but it's just getting kind of traction. It's it's focused in the wrong place. Um, where kind of thought to myself, okay, well, say instead of an image. You actually attach a real-world asset like a commodity, which uh, which is still traded in units. Uh, so you attach a unit of commodity to this. And what if, on top of that, uh, you utilize um, the NFT uh, metadata capabilities, and uh, specifically in EUTXO, the UTXO boxes in the NFT, to reference data, data like say traceability data, traceability data that can be referenced and then embedded into the NFT, uh, or digital certificates that can be assigned to the NFT. So basically, you have accountability between the uh, the producer 
basically being a, being somebody who is, you know the point of origin being a legitimate point of origin that can be proved on chain of this commodity and this is also embedded into this asset well now it becomes interesting now um, not only are you creating an asset that represents a digital commodity uh, represents a physical uh, commodity you're also creating a digital asset that has uh, embedded value within itself because all this traceability information, certificate information, uh, digital identity information, all this is very valuable. It's very, it's a very valuable part of the part of the supply chain, because uh, this information is just really difficult to either come by or organize or vet in the legacy in in, in the legacy system. So it, it all just kind of fell into place. You know, it's it's a it, it, we use NFTs. But we utilize the utility. We embed it with all these different other utilities and services that are a must, and that are uh, the you know the, the the big strengths of DLT technology. And what we came up with uh, was Winter Protocol, which basically is um, it, it's 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 a very innovative NFT based uh, tokenization traceability protocol. Uh, that Palmyra runs on. Uh, so essentially, yes, you are trading NFTs, uh, but these NFTs have utility that uh, that creates an uh, an embedded value in the NFT, and which is what you're basically moving with the product, and uh, which creates extra value for the product and extra value for you as the user of the product. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. I saw something really interesting the other day, and it was a um, a Tesla that had been tokenized via an NFT. It had its full service history, its mileage, its owners, all this metadata in it that really made a lot of sense to me in regards to this is likely the way that most things are going. Um, because the sort of traditional systems of, of keeping all this data – it's kind of fragmented, whereas you can have one NFT of a commodity. It could be tea that has the reputation of the seller, you know, the the the, the distance or, or the kind of journey that that package has taken and everything in between. So NFTs, what most people think of is pictures of dogs and stones and stuff like that, actually really unlock the next level of uh, real-world application for the blockchain. You know, I, I really do think they do. And the beautiful thing about them is they can be sent like sending a, a text message. You know, this changes everything and, and, and transforms more industry uh, than one. So absolutely fascinating. I love that sort of uh, tokenization of the commodities and, and doing that via a, a, an NFT. And, and can you maybe just give a quick breakdown of the, of the different moving parts that we've got there? So we spoke about Zengate, we spoke about Palmer, and then we've spoken about if you can remind me, Snowgate. Uh, so, uh, right. So Zengate is the company, Zengate Global. Yes. And we have a subsidiary in Sri Lanka. Yep. Uh, and we're also going to be uh, opening other local jurisdiction entities that will be dealing with specific jurisdictions that we are uh, uh, that we that we serve. Um, the other products in the family are, so the Palmyra platform is what we're building right now. So this is the commodities trading platform. This is the Palmyra Comdex, as we call it, um, which is the first of three products. So the other one is going to be a, uh, it's, called, it's called the Solaris Portal. And the Solaris Portal is sort of the continuation of what Palmyra is about, but instead of being B2B, which is what Palmyra is, it's a B2C uh, solution. Uh, they can use Palmyra for sourcing. And what it is, is a, um, a modular, no-code uh, platform uh, for uh, small and mid-sized businesses to utilize, to create their own uh, bespoke blockchain solutions. Uh, whether it be more about payments or more about traceability or more about uh, immutability in various different ways, how it can be used. All these tools are going to be available to them in modules and templates. And essentially what they can do is they can create their own subsystems uh, 
that will accommodate their particular business and will say, for example, utilize the traceability data that comes from sourcing products on, on, on Palmyra, and they can pass on that traceability data to their customers. So for example, you are a, um, a, a, a tea shop or a coffee shop in California, and you utilize Palmyra to source your, uh, this, you do direct buying through Palmyra and source your, your tea and coffee through Palmyra. All this tea and coffee comes with certifications, comes with traceability data, comes with this information that is very useful to you, but is also uh, wanted by your end user. And more and more and more, this is becoming a must-have uh, for many uh, for many single consumers uh, of these products. And so, what you can do is you can actually pass this information onto your customer. You can show them where uh, the tea in their cup comes from. You can show that this was done in a sustainable way, that this is in fact what you're selling to them, and uh, essentially create more value for what you for what you offer. Um, so again, there could be there could be components that you can you can utilize for local compliance, for example, because. Uh, there's uh, more and more regulations are coming in uh, that are um, that are requiring a traceability of of, of, um, of food ingredients, and so you're already going to have this on hand. And again, you can create your own solutions that will say you want to report this to your customers, or you want to create a uh, a Web three solution that will then carry on this information and utilize IoT devices within your own warehouse to distribute this information. And then you can create a, 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 mini, uh, a mini traceability solution within your own warehouse that goes to your customer, which is again, would be kind of a white label templated solution that will also utilize parts of the Winter Protocol and parts of the Palmyra technology and would bring it in a modular, uh, easy to use way to the average user so that they can, again, utilize it in their business and build these bespoke solutions. Um, so that's very exciting for us because again, it's all about uh, creating opportunity, create giving choices to the mainstream and really creating and lowering the barrier of entry for the mainstream, for yeah. utilizing this, the, 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 the technology because right now, uh, you know, you need developers to utilize the technology. 99.9% of the time, you know, in an effective manner. This is intimidating to the average business. Even if they are familiar with Web3 technology, they are intimidated by the fact that, well, I don't know anything about actually coding up a smart contract or creating a DAP or how, how I mean, I want traceability, but how does, how does it work? How do I make it work? Well, here's just plug and play, point and click, drag and drop. It's really easy. Um, and yeah, just it, it, there's really no, almost no uh, learning curve. Um, I mean, the learning curve, the only learning curve is in just the basic, the, the core concept of what you're building. And that is just not that big of a feat to to accomplish for a lot of people that are losing, uh, looking to utilize the technology. The third one, and uh, of course, last but not least, is uh, Siberiad and Siberiad or the Siberiad grid. And they say Siberia Grid is a geo-anchored uh, metaverse that utilizes all the various components of Palmyra and Solaris uh, to create uh, geo-specific uh, geo services that will later then be uh, can be accommodated by the by the other platforms. Uh, things like say point of origin, where you can specifically uh, show point of origin in the metaverse because it is on chain. You can prove it physically. Uh, you can have uh, uh, we, you can have a geospecific services that are again available on chain to specific jurisdictions because for example, you know not all jurisdictions are created equal. So there's going to be regulations and some that need to be abided by uh, that others don't have. And so you can you have different types of services that are offered in different jurisdictions. This is also something that is going to be solved by a geo, a, 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 a geo specific, a geo anchored metaverse, or you know, we don't want to use whatever the new trendy way of saying metaverse is. I actually never thought that metaverse was a great name to for to begin with because it sounds a little too much too science fictiony. But essentially, a geo positioned on chain grid. This is why we call it the Siberian grid. 
which is actually kind of uh, well, the great part is uh, is a nod to to Tron. If some maybe some of you guys are old school movie fans, that's what they called the the the, the, the Tron. The Tron world was the grid. Nice, a little um, bit of um, movie trivia in there as well, huh? Yeah, yeah. So essentially, the, 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 this is the suite of product, the suite of products we're creating. And again, as you can see, they're all kind of interwoven. They're, they they all kind of uh, uh, work off of each other to create this macro ecosystem for, uh, with, within which you're going to have opportunity inclusion for various different levels of users and businesses. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. I can see how they all sort of um, work together and bounce off each other under the kind of banner of Zengate Global. You know, it's very fascinating. I am truly interested in what you guys are doing. And I know you guys are already implemented in certain jurisdictions. Yeah. Um, so we're uh, currently, we have uh, onboarded Sri Lankan tea. So we're heavy in Sri Lanka. We're actually going back to Sri Lanka next month for workshops uh, with a, uh, you know, with a very famous tea expert. Um, and so other jurisdictions we're actually talking with are Kenya, which is a big tea producing jurisdiction. Uh, we're also looking to get into Myanmar again for tea, uh, and potentially coffee. And of course, Turkey is being a big, um, I call it kind of like the, the Dubai of tea because this is where a lot of the tea trade and then the, you know, the tea buying and the tea brokering happens because Turkey itself is a huge tea drinking uh, nation and coffee drinking nation and just, uh, you know, commodity consuming and producing nation. Uh, and actually one of the, one of the commodities that we're, uh, we're going to be bringing on uh, later on down the line is going, are going to be Turkish hazelnuts, which again, suffer from a lot of the same issues with, access with uh with uh core value being kind of uh taken to another jurisdiction that used to control the the uh, hazelnut trade uh so again kind of bring the power back over here and kind of giving them a more opportunity to utilize uh their own national product uh as well as actually it's not we're not just all about tea we're onboarding other commodities we're going to be onboarding Ceylon cinnamon uh, we're going to be onboarding uh, potentially coconut products, uh, Greek olive oil down the line, um, even wine, uh, where we're looking for and we're looking at and actually working with various types of producers. And, yeah, this is really exciting. You know, this is um, it, it, it. You know, it, I, I was asked a question again today when, during my meeting with the uh, with, with, with the tea buyer. So. How did you how did you get from being a developer to trading commodities? Like what brought you here? And I explained to him that you know what uh, the, the 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 core principle of why I'm here hasn't changed. Uh, the technology that we have really serves this opportunity inclusion through uh, through a combination of Web two and Web three technologies that would better you know it, it has an impact uh, gives the opportunity for the developing economies to leapfrog uh, and essentially have that opportunity inclusion. And that is what inspires me, you know? And yes, of course, okay, you can say now that I'm a commodity trader as well. You can also say that we're, you know, we're a, commo we're a commodities house. Uh, in fact, uh, Palmyra, we, we, we are, we strive to be uh, a, a new type of commodities, uh, commodities exchange. Uh, like the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, for example. Yep. Um, so this, uh, you know, a new evolution. Uh, but again, like I said, it all boils down to the same principles. And um, it's it's all about impact. It's all about utilizing uh, these technologies in a sustainable. And again, I don't want to keep using the word impactful, but it, it, it is all about it. It's about the impact that it creates it's about uh, the the opportunity, the movement that it creates. Uh, that is just really exciting. You can see this happening. You know, you don't have to sit around for a hundred years for this to take hold. It's happening in front of you. You know, you, you're dealing with producers that are, are are eager to talk to you because you don't have to explain to them how a crypto wallet works, but they can see that your platform is going to make it easier for them to do good business, and that makes them happy. Um, I didn't have to explain to the guy today how 
the NFTs or used to tokenize the, the T and this and that. I just said, you know that issue you're having uh, with the other suppliers because you don't know who they are? And this is why you only deal with this one guy? Well, this platform solves that. Like, oh, okay. Okay. I see that now. And, and, and that's just, that's, that's the reactions that uh, kind of make it worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it needs to be, um, it, it solves a problem without people knowing what the underlying technology and, and, and sort of the intricacies of it are actually doing. And I think that that's key to web three adoption across the board. Um, and it really is truly fascinating what you guys are doing, you know, commodity markets, absolutely huge. Um, and not only are you tackling that market, you're, reinventing it and i think that that's colossal and providing opportunities for everyone along that chain that sam had sort of described you know it, it, it is nothing short of fascinating what you guys are doing and of course this is all built on ergo um i know we're coming up for a little bit short on time so if we'll, we'll have to perhaps save the ergo question for another uh video perhaps on its own um but if people want to find out more about you guys tell them where to go How about you do that, Sam? Yeah, don't, don't both okay. rush for the... <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I... Okay, so there's a few places. We're quite active on Twitter. Um, so Zengate Global is the account name. Um, and then if you want to find out a little bit more about our products, um, zengate.global is our company website. And palmyra.app is the name of the... Is the um, is the Palmyra platform website as well. So those those are probably the best three places to go learn about what we're doing. We're quite active on Twitter. We do regular AMAs. Um, we do a lot of stuff outside of our own project as well in the Ergo ecosystem. So there's some stuff around there. Um, and then lots of lots of content coming out on our Medium and our YouTube, uh, you know, YouTube channels as well. So like we're, we're we're very transparent in terms of the way we're building our business. Um, we have a really really strong community. Um, everyone sort of asks questions and gets involved, and you know brings leads like even which is really cool. Um, so yeah, like I'd love to invite everyone into the community to learn a little bit more about what we're doing, and um, our DMs are open as well. So if anyone has any specific questions or even opportunities as well that they're working on that we can collaborate with, uh, that would be super exciting. Yeah, maybe there's some uh, commodity producers out there that may uh, get in touch with you, you know, hopefully. I'm going to leave links to all of that in the description so you guys can just go and check the description out and you'll be able to find uh, all of the areas Sam's just mentioned. And I'll also leave links to both Dan, uh, Dan and Sam's Twitters. The last thing for me to do, guys, is thank you very much for coming on the show uh, and presenting Zenga. You know, it, it's been fascinating for myself. Lots of learning, um, and I'm sure my audience is absolutely going to love this. So thank you very much, guys. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you for, for having, having us. us. Thank you.